Lord, we thank you that we can come together. We thank you that you are so good, Lord, that you love us so much. And uh, that, Jesus, you came to show us that, that you walked the earth to show us how good you are, to show the love of the Father to us, to reveal his heart. And Lord, I pray that tonight we'll just be able to be imparted to, Lord, from your word, that we would have the compassion of Jesus, that we would have the goodness of you imparted into our life from your word, Lord, as a, as a living word, and that it would, Holy Spirit, that you would do things in our heart and our mind tonight and shift anything that needs to be shifted, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness, Father, where we might have messed up this week, we might have fallen short of what you wanted us to do or be. I should you cleanse us from all of that and that we might have soft hearts to receive from you. Any offence in our lives, Lord, we let it go. That we might be free in you and to be able to receive from you tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> okay, tonight I want to speak from 1 Timothy. So if you turn in your Bibles, we should be up to there. We're in week, we've just finished week 40. We're in week 40 of the year. Hugging along, whether we like it or not. So, First Timothy, First Timothy, chapter six. I've actually prepared two sermons this week. <laughs> so I was humming and harring what the Lord wanted me to say. But anyway, this is a bit of a meshing of the two together. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive from the Word tonight? Good. Okay. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy reads from verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Tonight I want to talk about... That little line there says, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. Now sometimes in our Western world, we think, what have I got to give, and I'm not wealthy, and I'm not rich, and it only takes you to go somewhere where you're in a third world circumstances to realise that we are so rich. We have been blessed with so much in the country we live in. And, um, and, and that's who, who this scripture is talking about, is us. That we're rich in, you know, in our resources and that we have a roof over our head, that we have food in our tummies, that we have people around us to care for us and that, you know, we're not out on the street with nothing to eat tonight. Now, there is people in this city that are and it's, 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 you know, God's word says that we're to be good towards those who have less than us. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. So tonight I want to talk about doing good. Pete, it's nice to see you. <laughs> it's about doing good. And uh, Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So I want to encourage us to do good and not grow weary in doing good. Acts chapter 10. Let's just turn there so you can see it. Acts chapter 10, go back a little bit in your Bibles. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. And verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing what? Sorry, what did he do? Good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Are we anointed? We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you can be clothed with power, that you have a Holy Spirit residing within us, resurrection power inside of us. And it was just the same anointing that was on Jesus as upon us to go and do good. Just like Jesus did, that we are called to go and do good and to set the oppressed free, to declare good news to those who do not know it. And that he went, Jesus went about doing good and his whole ministry was about doing that, about setting the oppressed free, about healing, about giving hope and about destroying the works of the devil. And he poured out his love and life into those around him and his life is a documentation of what you can do if you do good. Now, we're not saved by doing good works. And I want you to understand that. And sometimes the church is, you know, if you, if you do good works and you say, well, I'm a good person, that's not going to get you saved. But once you are saved and you've had your sin cleansed away and you've been forgiven and set free from that, then there is a mandate on us as God's children to go and do what Jesus did. And it says right there in Acts 10 that Jesus went about doing good. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're good. You're anointed to do good. You're actually anointed to do the works of Jesus. And if it says there that he went about doing good and setting the oppressed free and destroying the works of the devil. So you're actually anointed, clothed with power from on high. You may not have little flamies on your head, but it's a fire on the inside of you. And you're anointed to do good. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So when we come to church, when we go to Connect Group, when we're talking each other through the week, we're Facebooking, we're actually meant to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. And we need encouraging. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we may feel intimidated by situations. Sometimes we're not comfortable. But if you're comfortable in that situation, then spur somebody else on. It says spur one another on. And consider how you might spur somebody else on. If you're strong in an area and you see somebody struggling, and spur them on. Encourage them to do good deeds and, and to love one another and get in the habit of doing that. That's what Hebrews 10 says. So I want to encourage us tonight to do good. But firstly, I want to talk about why we should. Why should we do good things? You think, well, you know, it takes a bit of effort and I've got enough on my plate and, you know, I'm, I look after my family and all those things. But I just want to encourage you what happens when we step up and do what Jesus did and go around doing good things. Because it changes people's concept of, of how they might live. And Jesus, he changed people's thinking. He changed how people looked at the world. You think about when he healed the man who had been blind from birth. People asked, why is he blind? And why is it? Or how is it? Or who's, whose fault is it? And Jesus, he didn't get caught up on that because, you know, people, if there was something wrong, they said, oh, they must have, he must have deserved that. He must have sinned. He must have been a terrible person or his parents were terrible. And, you know, and Jesus didn't get caught up on that. He just didn't pay much attention. He just healed the man. He just healed him. And sometimes we can get caught up and, oh, well, they got themselves in that muddle and so they can get themselves out. Or oh, they deserve that. So, you know, that's what's happening. And sure, sometimes... They have put themselves in a situation of their own doing. But we need to take the example of Jesus where he went, doesn't really matter, I'm going to heal him anyway. Don't, doesn't really matter, I'm going to heal him anyway. And that's just taking hold of what Jesus has put in our life and going, you know what, but for the grace of God, I could be that person. But for the grace of God, I could be over there messing up. 
I could have nothing to eat. I, couldn't have, I might not have a roof over my head. I might not have somebody to love and care for me. So we need to take up Jesus' example. You know, Kong He says this really good quote. It's, find a need, find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Easy to remember. Find a need and meet it. They're all around you. You just have to walk out the door. Find a hurt and heal it. They're anointed to do good. Same anointing that was on Jesus is on us. The world in which Jesus ministered in was not about the value of human life. The great philosophers that stated that a man who could not work had no value. And uh, they said when people become too old or sick to work, they're put out onto the street to die. That's uh, Aristotle and Plato and all those guys. They were great philosophers and we look at them now and think, oh, yay, and you study them and stuff. But some of those guys, actually, their thinking of the Greek and Roman time was if you could not work, if you could not contribute, there were no value, and they put you out on the street and left you to die. The early church and Jesus and his ministry and what he showed the disciples how to live started with 12 disciples, which grew to 70, which grew to 500, and then sprung up to thousands. But that early church is responsible for the way our society is organised and for the way we currently live. So extensive is the Christian contribution to our laws and our economics, our politics, our art, our calendar, our holidays, and our moral and cultural compass. Twelve men, then 70 who gathered around Jesus, and then the 500. But 12 men changed the world. They changed the world. I'll share with you just some of the extent, because we take it for granted, the world we live in, and go, oh, well, it's always been like that. No, it hasn't. If Jesus had not walked on this earth and grew up 12 disciples who followed him and, and followed his example, our world would be a very different place. The impact on the value of human life because of what Jesus taught us is that the concept of universal human rights and equality comes exclusively from the biblical idea that all people are created in the image of God. All people are, are, are worthy and valuable. You know, before Jesus walked on the earth, before Christianity came into the world, they were not seen as that. Everybody was not seen of value. But when people grabbed hold of the Christianity and started to get saved and more and more churches sprang up and Christianity spread, there was this concept of you are valuable no matter who you are and where you come from. And so it started to change the fabric of society. Woman in ancient cultures, a wife was the property of her husband and Aristotle said that a woman was somewhere between a free man and a slave. Aristotle said that. It was extremely common in the Greco-Roman world to throw out new female infants to die from exposure because of the low status of women in society. The church forbade its members to do so and it started to change. As Christianity spread, that's where it started to change. Greco-Roman society saw no value in an unmarried woman and therefore it was actually illegal for a widow to go more than two years without remarrying. But Christianity was the first religion to not force widows to remarry. They were supported financially and honoured within the community so they were not under great pressure to marry again. Now, Paul did say, if you're going to chase around blokes, it's better, you know, and fall into sin and you're young, then it's better that you marry if you're going to go that way. But they actually, if you're a widow and you chose to stay a widow and you are of an age, then they looked after you in the church. Now, that was a completely different way of looking at things. 
Pagan widows lost all control of their husband's estate when they remarried, but the church allowed widows to maintain their husband's estate. Children in the ancient world, for example, in classical Rome or Greece, infanticide was not only legal, it was actually applauded. Killing a Roman was murder, but it was commonly held in Rome that killing one's own children could be an act of beauty. Through a higher view of life, it was the early Christian church that ultimately brought an end to infanticide. This is people just going around doing good, changing the way people think, changing society by just being like Jesus. And our mandate is still the same, that we just need to be like Jesus because you see things coming into our world and we go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We just need to be like Jesus and go around doing good and just lifting a higher moral fibre and value in our society. That's all these guys did. They just went around, they met from house to house, they, they blessed people. If they saw a need, they meet it. If they saw a child out on the street, they brought it into their home. They cared for the widows. They cared for the sick. They were the ones that started the first hospitals were Christians. The first schools were Christians. The first orphanages were Christians. The first lots and lots of things were Christians. You know? And it was just them saying, you know what? We've got a mandate to do something. Jesus had compassion on the weak. He had compassion on the widows. He had compassion on the sick. He had the compassion on the outcasts. And that is what changed the world. It wasn't by just people going, oh, well, that's a shame. The government will look after it. No, they didn't sit back and do that. They just stepped up as local churches, often who just met in houses and made an impact in their city and in the world. And it changed the world. Don't think, oh, I just can't do anything. You know, that's a lie the enemy did. He feeds into us. Well, we're just me. This me is a giant. Not grasshoppers, remember. Yeah? And sometimes we, we think we are and we're not. Slavery. Well, it was true that Christians have owned slaves in history. It's clear that this is a distortion of biblical teaching. Early Christianity elevated the roles of those oppressed in society by, for example, accepting women and slaves as full members of churches. Slaves participated equally in worship and the community and were afforded contract and property rights. Christians were the first in history to oppose slavery systematically. Early Christians purchased slaves in the markets simply to set them free. They'd go to the slave market, they'd buy them, and then they'd set them free. And you know the story of William Wilberforce? If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I encourage you to watch it. One man, what a difference a person can make. Now, we may not all be William Wilberforce, but we can pray and we can, and we can you know, step out and do what God leads us to do. He had a mandate from God to do what he did. You know, sometimes we live in this little, can't go there, can't do that, and God is calling us that you, know, you can do good. We're anointed to do good. The gladiators, a 5th century monk, Telemachus, is credited as being the pivotal force ending the gladiator spectacles. He's just a little old monk, you know, with his habit. <laughs> But he wasn't a little old monk. No, he said, he stood up and said, this isn't right. Because you know what? Because it wasn't valuing human life. You see what a change Jesus and his message did, and still does. Cannibalism. Missionaries, followers of Jesus, are credited with stopping cannibalism in many primitive society. Aren't we glad about that? Compassion and mercy were some of the aspects of Jesus' ministry was his emphasis on helping the neediest and lowliest in society. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The teachings of Jesus changed how people thought about those that were different. 
And many Christian charities are a product of that. You think of Mother Teresa and the Salvation Army and religious hospitals and church-supported soup kitchens and thrift shops in every community because we're following the examples of the compassion of Jesus. Education for the masses had its roots in Protestant Reformation in order to provide being able to read the Bible. Because you think about it, in the Dark Ages, people couldn't read the Bible and so they, you know, they weren't te- being taught God's word. The whole thing about education for the masses came out of Christians saying, we want everybody to be able to read God's word so they might know what God has to say to them. And so they started teaching everybody to read and it grew from there. That's where our education roots come from. That everybody, because it used to be just the rich people. Imagine... You know, this poor little person being able to suddenly be taught how to read, how it changed things, how it still changes things. And that was Christianity that did that. There's still things to be done, people to impact, lives to reach, and it starts with making a decision to live like Jesus did, that he went around doing good. And he challenged people's mindsets about how to live, about other people, about children, about women, about the sick, about the outcasts actually challenged people and, and they started to pick up on what Jesus was doing and they saw how he changed lives and they got that compassion of Jesus. And he wants us to be the same, that we would pick up on how he had compassion, find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. That's all Jesus did. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you see time after time he'd be walking along or he'd wait on the Father to lead him and he says, I just do the will of the Father. And he would go out of his way to meet the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and heal her hurts. He went out of the way to the, to the widow who her son had died. And what did he do? He raised her back to life. Because he had compassion on the masses, the woman who was about to be stoned for adultery, and he stopped it. That's the compassion of Jesus at work. And I want to encourage us tonight to do good. If you've become wary or discouraged because you haven't seen immediate results or response or even continued response to you doing stuff, I want to encourage you from Hebrews that it says, do not grow weary in doing good, but spur one another on. Some of you are strong in some areas in your life where you see others might not be. Instead of getting grumpy with them, say, hey, come with me, come along with me. It's going to be all right. Some things are intimidating for people to do, like street ministry. Some people are like, I can't do that, and others find it easy. So let them spur you on and encourage you to do that. Some people, they find it easy to go and party with lots of different people, and others are you know, a bit freaked out by that. Well, take them along and encourage them. Yeah? Other people, it's like the thought of having, you know, going into the school and ministering to the kids is like, oh, no, somebody else can do that. Well, come along and say, hey, come and we'll do it together. Spur one another on to do good things. It's, it's easy when you've got, you know, two together to do it. And, you know, you do, that's what Jesus says. He said, go out two, two. Two of you go out and do stuff, didn't he? He always said two of you because two are better than one and one falls down, the other one can pick them up. So spur one another on to do good. I had this, um, just as I finish, I, had, I was talking to my sister this week and she was quite, had this quote that I've seen before, but it was, Living, are you living your resume or your eulogy? Are you living your u- resume or your eulogy? And, uh, you know, a resume, resume tells of all the things you're able to do and your success and your abilities and all the things that the world says is important. You know, your pieces of paper. And I've done this and I've been here and I've done that. 
And uh, nothing to, you know, and they're good things. Philip just got a Diploma of Management RPL to him this week, which I'm very happy about. But, uh, and that's great. But your eulogy tells what sort of life you have lived. When your time has come and it's time for you to go to glory, your eulogy, somebody's going to get up and talk about what your life was all about, what sort of life you lived. And have you noticed that when people die, the eulogies celebrate life very different from the way we define success in our everyday existence. It's easy to let ourselves get consumed by work and degrees and, you know, pieces of paper and the things we've done. And it's easy to use work to let ourselves forget the things and the people that truly are important. You know, I was reading this, well, I have this thing on my phone called the Fathering Project that I got for Philip, but it kind of comes to my phone as well. It's about being a good da dad. I'm not saying he's not, but you know, you can always be spur I'm spurring him on to good things. Hey, honey. Absolutely. But I was talking about this man, and he, he would see his, put his kids to bed on Sunday night, and he would not see them again till Saturday. Now, he worked the town, he would come home every night, but he would actually leave so early in the morning and get home so late at night that he would not see his kids except on the weekend. And it was like his work was that was what it was all about. And I thought, oh, how sad is that? That's not that's not how you know his kids are gonna remember us and oh dad, he provided for us and dad there's no they just want a dad. And it's so important that we're not living our resume, but we should be living what's gonna what's really gonna matter. What's really going to matter when it's all said and done? And it's easy to let technology wrap us up in a constant stressed out existence. It's easy in effect to miss our lives even while we're living them and to miss the life that God purposed for us to have. You know, Jesus said, I come to give you fullness and abundant life. And it's so easy to miss that life that God came to give us. And sometimes as we get older, we look back and we go, oh, I missed it. Oh, if only I'd done that. And you have this planet of regret. And God doesn't want us to live like that. And you know, he's a great redeemer. He's a great restorer. And you just look back and go, oh, I messed up. You know, go to God and say, Lord, I just ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, just restore those years. Restore those relationships. Restore that time. But if, you know, learn from those that have gone before you. I listen, I, I often have my dad's voice in my head every now and then. And it, it reminding me of the things that he said. You know, to not get caught up in stuff and to... And now my mum, she says, you know, just be a hippie Christian. You know, don't get so stressed out. And uh, I just want to share with you something as I was talking about mum. She was actually staying in the Hyatt Hotel, which is like two or three minutes from Capitol Hill in Washington this week. She was coming down the stairs to go up to Capitol Hill. And, and she said, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? And uh, what do you want me to do now? And she just felt the Lord impress on her to just stop at the restaurant and have a cup of tea and a sandwich. And, you know, mum's all business and when she wants to go travelling, she's out there doing stuff. But she just paused. She sat in, down in the restaurant and she had a cup of tea. A couple of se seconds later, she heard gunfire. And if you read the news this week, there was a lady who rammed into the blockades and there was an awful thing happened and people had to hit the deck. They were hiding behind bush bushes and grasses. Mum would have been smack in the middle of it. She was on her way to Capitol Hill when there was all these people getting, you know, having to hide and a couple of minutes later there was a, all these tourists came running back into the hotel saying there's been a shooting there's been somebody killed and mum just sat there and went I would have been there she would have been right in the middle of it but she just paused and said holy spirit what do you want me to do and god just led her away from trouble so just 
you know, just to, to be listening up to what the Holy Spirit, because he leads and guides us and he leads us out of trouble and he leads us to do good things. Amen? And uh, Mum, I'm sure she gets home tomorrow, she's going to have some lots of tales to tell us, but I just want to encourage us to be listening up. Listen up. When you get a little nudge to do something, listen up. Listen up for it. That's right, you listen up. You almost never hear a eulogy saying things like, what everybody loved most about her was how she ate lunch at her desk every day. Or he was proud that he never made it to one of his kids' footy games because he always wanted to go over those figures one more time. Or she didn't have any real friends, but she had 600 Facebook friends and she dealt with every email in her inbox every night. But he would live on, you know, and, and it, things like, he will live on not in our hearts or memories because we barely knew him, but he had his PowerPoint slides which were always meticulously prepared. Do you want somebody to remember you like that? Ferrari in the garage was a testament to his success as a person, even if his kids didn't know him. Eulogies are not resumes, and our eulogy will be what our lives are about, how we cared, how courageous we were, how funny we were, how we were as a human being, how people remembered us, how we live on in the minds of hearts of others, how we lived out what we believed. A eulogy will be about the small kindnesses we did, how we reached out with good things we did to reveal Jesus to others. That's what people are going to remember. And one day, even if you do live to 120, which I'm pulling for, there's going to be a time when it's time to go to glory. And if Jesus hasn't come yet, somebody's going to stand up and talk about your life. And I want them to be able to celebrate us, saying, you know what? You could just see the love of Jesus shine through those people. You could just see the love of Jesus shine through Ken. And you know, shine through Matt. Shine through Rhea. You could just see it because they did good. Wherever they went, they just shared the love of Jesus. And you could see the love and the life of Jesus in them. And that's what Jesus, he says, I come to give you fullness and abundant life and that you would reveal the love of God to others. And that's what we want our eulogy to read like if Jesus isn't come already. Our lives are a living testament to Jesus to carry on his work on earth, to build his kingdom, not our own, on things which are eternal. And yet we spend so much time and effort on those resume entries which are gone as soon as our heart stops beating. What difference can we make if we live, like Jesus said, just going around doing good? And I was talking to somebody this week and they're sharing about their brother-in-law and how he wasn't a Christian and he wasn't in church and that his sister started going to church. And that as she did that, people heard that he was out of work and they started to put money in the mailbox. You know what happened to that man? He got saved. Yeah? And then he went out and he started ministering to others and he started ministering to the poor and he went overseas and started schools and orphanages up. And, and it was because people just stepped out, saw a need and met it. Put money in a mailbox for a man who was out of work to provide for his family. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Let your eulogy be better than any resume you're ever going to succeed at and make a difference. Build his kingdom. You know, sometimes we forget to do good things. And Hebrews 13 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When we're reading the Bible every day and spending time with Jesus, he'll remind us. And you know, if there's one pointer to help us to remember to do good, I'm going to finish with this, there's one thing that's going to help you to remember to do good, it's to read God's word. Can I just show you? Turn to Hebrews and I'll show you how easy it is. Hebrews chapter 13. 
Now, I think God sticks things in the word over and over again because he knows that we're going to forget. Because he says, do not forget to do good. Do not forget to look after people. Do not forget to love. And I want to show you just how easily it is to, when you read God's word, that God will speak to you and direct you. And it says, just be doers of my word. Just hear and obey. So there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to hear and obey and trust. Trusting is hearing. <laughs> Sounded better hearing. <laughs> I'm changing hymns. Now let's just read this and I'll show you what you can get out of a piece of scripture. Let, let brotherly love continue. Number one, do good. Verse one. We're starting from chapter 13, verse one. Just a small passage of scripture, how much is in there for how God wants us to live and how we can do good just in every day. Verse one says, let brotherly love continue. So love your brother. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, you know, you've got to be careful with strange danger, but that's why you take somebody along. But, you know, just to, you know, just to be, look out for those who are lonely. Look out. You know, invite them for a coffee if you're down, you know. Just look out for those. You never know. You might be entertaining angels unawares. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Remember those who are in prison. Remember those that, you know, if you're interested in prison ministry, if you've ever had a heart to do that, then, you know, step out and do that. There's lots and lots of people that organisations do that. Or if you want to be able to support the missionaries and people who are actually in prison for their faith, pray for them. Don't forget them. It says, remember them. It says, marriage is honourable above all and the bed undefiled. As in, honour your marriage. Keep it, you know, he's talk, the Bible talks about keeping things sexually pure in your marriage. And that's a good thing. So Jesus said, do good. That's a good thing. It says in verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. That means don't be always looking over the fence saying, oh, I want that, I want that, I want this. You know, God, he says that he'll fill your house with treasures and beautiful things. And he also says that he'll, if you delight on him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's, but don't be constantly looking and saying, oh, I have to have this, oh, I have to have that. Just say, Lord, I'd really always have liked a lovely new sparkly kitchen. <laughs> you know, God knows the desires of your heart, but he also doesn't want us to be discontent. You know, my kitchen was fine, but I was like, Lord, you know, it'd be really cool to get a new kitchen. And my lovely husband and helpers have put it in, so you all can come and see in a couple of weeks. But you know, the Lord wants to bless us, but he doesn't want us to covet, always wanting what somebody else has had. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow it considering the outcome of their conduct. That's about us, you know. Just do good to us. <laughs> um, where else? <laughs> be content. Remember those who teach you a continual offering up praise. I think that's further down in the scripture. Uh, where are you? Verse 15. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When you read God's word, it is a mindful of good things. And that's how mainly that you remember how to do good, is by reading this. Because you're transformed by renewing of your mind by God's word. It's very hard to remember to live like Jesus asked us to if you're not putting in the thoughts and the things that he said. So if you say, oh, but I just always forget, I encourage you, read God's word. Just in those few verses, there is like 10 or so things about doing good things. See how easy it is? And then it's your job to just do it. 
So I encourage you to assess what's really important. Make an impact where you are. Set your mind on things above. and Be led in what is good by the Holy Spirit. Let him lead you. And if you want to spur each other on, you know, spur one another on to do good works. Spur one another on. I just say, well, you know, I was talking to one of our kids this week and he said, I was praying, Mum, just before I went to bed. And uh, I was saying, Lord, why isn't you know, people giving to... Why is it people that don't have enough food to eat and they don't have enough money? And why isn't that people don't give to them? And he said, I think that God came back and said to me, well, why don't you do something? Why don't you give your money? Why don't you do something? And so he came to me the next day and he says, um, Mum, I'd like to give all my savings away and I want to be out. This is what God's asked me to do because if I can't. I'm, I'm looking out and saying, why can't they do it? And God said to me, well, what about you? It's easy to point and see what everybody else isn't doing, but what are we doing and how can we spur each other on to do good things? So let's do good things this week and spur one another on and say what happened and see what God will do with us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God and for your love and compassion that was extended to us, Lord, that you saw us in our point of need and you rescued us. And Lord, I pray that as we go through our week, Lord, that you would stir us up to do works of compassion, that you would stir us up to find a need and meet it, to find a hurt and heal it with your love, Lord. Lord, help us to spur one another on and encourage one another, not to just get grumpy or offended with one another when we're not doing what we they're doing what we think, but Lord, to encourage one another and to see and make the most of every opportunity, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words I've spoken would sink into our hearts and our minds and bear fruit in our lives, Lord, and that your word would be real to us and lead us and guide us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.